Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer and the host of Funding the Dream, and this is episode 33, I do believe. And I'm joined today, I brought in an expert. Uh, Those of you who listen to the show are listening because you probably have an idea for a game or uh, for something to put onto Kickstarter. That's why you listen. Well, I reached out and found somebody who I think is one of the top game inventors out there and who does it full-time as a real job, which is a very unusual thing. And I'm joined by Kim, excuse me, Kim Vandenbroek with uh, The Game Isle is your website. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Kim, uh, The Game Isle is your, is your blog and your website, but uh, what's the name of your company? The name of my company is actually Brainy Chick Inc. Um, although I, you know, I don't do a ton of business under that. Most people know me now from the game aisle, and that's aisle as in like a store aisle, not aisle as in some desert aisle. <laughs> uh, although it would be fun to simply. Be, I think a lot of us would just like to be on a desert aisle and play board games all day long. I've had fantasies about that, just sitting back and playing my favorite oh, yeah, games. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. How long have you been a game inventor? Hmm. Let's see, since 2003, 2002? Oh my gosh, time's just flying. I graduated college and I started right away at a toy and game invention firm here in Chicago called Meyer Glass Design, and I was there for four years um, until they went out of business. And then I thought I wanted to leave the industry and was looking for other jobs, but realized that, um, A, nobody wants an ex-toy or game inventor, and B, um, you, you really do miss it when you stop doing it for a while. I really enjoy coming up with new concepts. Um, so, so yeah, so I started doing it on my own and ever since have been an independent, um, mostly game inventor, although I do do toys every once in a while. So 10 years, you've been inventing games for a living for 10 years. And now most of the people who listen to the show and, uh, who are in this space know that it's almost impossible to make a living in the hobby and, and toy space. How, how, how come you've been so successful at doing this? Well, I think there are two things. Um, one, you, you can't just go for the, I mean, you have to do a lot of little tiny games, like small, very specialty games to make enough to actually survive and keep the power on in your house. Um, but you do actually need to look at some of the larger companies that are going to do a higher volume so your royalty rates are, you know, you're going to be giving bigger checks every month so you can keep the power on and food on the table. Um, but you can't ever stop. You can't slow down. You have to keep going. You have to come up with a lot, a lot, a lot of concepts because, you know, I have concepts that are uh, in my storage area that are, um, you know, a couple years old and it just wasn't the right time or place for that particular item and it may take three or four years to get that thing licensed, um, which it's great that it does finally get licensed, but, you know, just because you came up with, you know, a couple concepts doesn't mean that they're actually going to be licensed that year, so it's, it's a lot of effort. And that, and that is because for somebody who, who has a, a concept that they've come up with with a game and they think that it's the hottest game out there and they want to take it out there, what is that process? I mean, it, from my understanding, it's very hard. And so when somebody comes along like you who seems to make it look easy, what do you tell somebody who, who looks at your success and says, oh, that looks so easy. I think I'll go do that. I, I think part of it is I remind them, first of all, that it is still a job. And I work more hours now for myself than I ever worked when I was at the invention firm. Um, it's it's a lot of effort, especially coming right off of Toy Fair, where I, you know, the nights I was working until 3 in the morning. Um, and that was pretty normal for a while because you just have to get as much stuff done as possible. Um, I, I think the other thing is, is that I do a little bit of brainstorming work outside the industry just to, you know, when somebody dangles money in front of me, of course, I'm going to be like, yes, I will take it. Um, because you have to take those opportunities as they come because you really could have a bad year and that could, 
you know, end your career as a game inventor. So um, it's it's a scary thing to do, and it's not an easy thing to do, and you really have to be okay with rejection, and you have to be okay with long hours, and um, you have to really, really, really want to do it. And I think that is that's the pa- the passion, right? You, the passion has to be. There. Oh, yeah. you, you, nobody gets rich in this in this industry. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You have to have the passion, but you also have to be willing to let go. Um, a lot of game inventors, I mean, especially new inventors, um, love the item that they came up with. And don't get me wrong, I love all the concepts that I come up with, all my little babies, you know, but as soon as they're done, they have to be done and you have to move on to the next thing. Um, a lot of people have a tendency to just be like, this is it. This is the best thing I've ever created. And yeah, it could be the best thing you've ever created, but if you want to be a professional game inventor, you had better, you know, ship that out to a couple companies for them to look at and move on to the next item and kind of almost, I don't want to say forget about it, but it's like, let it do its thing out there while it's being evaluated and move on to the next item, the next idea in your head or start coming up with a whole series of ideas for you to have in the pipeline because you got to keep moving so uh what would you consider your uh, greatest success what what game out there is this like oh that was the one that that really uh, i'm really proud of that one do you have one of those i do actually um i think categories categories which is out now with winning moves is probably um the one that i'm most proud of because i really do love to play it um but if you talk about the one that's probably made the biggest impact on my career was actually a, a failure it was the very first concept I ever licensed um, called Cover to Cover, and that was with Hasbro. And it didn't, it was a, a tween girls magazine scavenger hunt game. Um, it was awesome. Oh my gosh. It just didn't, it just didn't take off. You know, they wanted to put all this money for advertising behind it, and something just didn't click. And, um, but because of that, I was able to, once I was out of my own, um, be able to approach a lot of companies that I hadn't worked with before and been like, look, I've had this game with um, Hasbro and you know, I've worked with Mattel and, you know, can I show you some concepts? Because a lot of them keep their doors very closed and, and only will see concepts from professional inventors or agents. And so it's hard to get your foot in the door. But that, that game, even though it was a failure, really allowed me to get my foot in the door and to a lot of companies that I'd never met anyone at before. So you used an nice. interesting term just now. You said professional gamers. So they keep their doors closed to professional gamers. They consider you a professional gamer, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a professional game inventor. So um, they they work with what they call the professional in, invention inventor community, and um, that it's a really select group of people. And a lot of them have been in the business a long time, and you can end up being part of that professional invention community if you. A lot of times, if, if either you're not working at an invention firm, which is where I started, you can end up in there because you've had a previous success that came through an agent. Um, so a lot of people don't like the idea of working with agents because they'll take about 50% of your royalties. Say that, wait a minute. They really they'll, know. they'll take how much of your royalties? 50%. That's, five, five, zero percent. Yeah, like half. All right, half of your royalties. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's pretty pretty standard, but they're also, they, they have the context. They know who to take it to. They know how to polish it and tweak it the right way so that companies will be interested in it. And once it, you know, it gets licensed by a company and becomes a great success, that company may start saying, hey, you know, we'll, we'll just come to you directly and see if you have any new ideas. Go straight to the inventor and not actually always go through the agent. So that's one way to get your foot in the door. And I know there are people who have, have gone about that way to become a professional inventor. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's maybe... At what, at what, point, what point do you have, are you anointed a professional inventor? What do you, what do you have to have achieved for them to consider that? 
Well, I, I think it's different for every company. Um, there, are, there are some companies like, uh, let's say, Briar Patch, you know, has had good experience with an inventor in the past. They'll always continue to go back and look to them, but that inventor may not be able to show to Hasbro. You kind of have to convince them that you've been in the business, you know how it works. Um, I think what, more what they're trying to avoid, and this is somewhat speculation, is that um, there are times where people don't see that there needs to be a point of difference in a game. And so um, they could show them a game about a horse or something. And... Um, you know, they, they uh, the company rejects it, and then, you know, a year later, they come out with a game about a horse. Well, you know, the games can really be, the theme can a lot of times be about anything, but, you know, just because somebody showed them a game about a horse does not mean that, you know, they stole the idea from them. It was a, it could be a completely different mechanic, a different look, it could have a different centerpiece, whatever it is, there there's a point of difference that made this new horse game that's on the market very different from the one that re- they rejected. And a lot of times, people outside the professional invention community don't understand where those boundaries are. So that's why they stick to most select group of people. So tell us the process that you go through to invent a game. Uh, How, first of all, how many games, how often do you invent a game? How often do you come up with a new concept in a game and consider you just invented a new game? How often does that happen? Um, you know, it depends on the time of year because, like, now since Toy Fair is over, I'll sort of be slowing down and working on concepts that are going to take more time and more thought. But right before Toy Fair, I could be doing close to one um, a day or one every other day if they're quick things that I kind of have a seed of an idea in my head. Um, so it really varies how, how quickly I can go to from idea to finished prototype. Um, but, yeah, like I said, the quickest would be one a day. And, you know... There are other times where I have ideas that kind of mull around for months until I find the right thing. So let's, but I'm working. I'm always working on several other times. So. so right now, the Toy Fair is over um, in New York, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the New York Toy Fair that you and I were yes. both at uh, last weekend. Yep. Big show, kind of a big buildup. You got the letdown now, and so now you're taking your time to think about it. What's that process you go through? You get the idea in your head. That, what are some of the steps, if you could guide the, the listeners kind of through it, if, they're, if they've got an idea in their head, what are the steps that you go through as a professional toy inventor or a game inventor to get to a stage where you're ready to show your, uh, your game to somebody? Well, I think first and foremost, um, I, I will always come up with an idea, and I have to make sure that it has a, a point of difference. I keep um, actually a sheet of paper um, on a, a board behind my desk um, that actually came from a Rio, a Rio Grande game design contest. And um, it's a lot of things that I had already gone through my head, but it's nice to have a visual reminder. It was just a sheet of paper, and it says, like, um, the criteria were originality. Is is the game original? That's a, that's a huge one, and I call that point of difference. What makes my concept or my idea different than anything else on the market? And if I can easily answer that, that, you know, I'm already on the right the right track. Um, and then it has other things like decision-driven, wait time, um, unpredictability, broad appeal, repeat play value, interactive, balanced, fun, simple to learn. It's all of these things that have to go into a great game. So I usually start thinking there, you know, is, it, is there a big point of difference? You know, does it have broad appeal? Does it have repeat play value? I mean, if you play it once and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I don't really want to play it again. Then I, I usually scrap the idea right away. Um, I, and so those are really important things that I'll do first. And then right away I'll go into a quick, cheap prototype of, like, paper and Post-its and whatever and get it out and start playing it um, by myself right away. And then I'll get someone else to play it with me. And it's not until I, I do the – I have, like, a, an idea that I'm like, yes, this is it, that then I will jump into doing a prototype that I can show to a client without being embarrassed. <laughs> so, for but. example, let's take uh... – 
What's the last game that you came out with? Uh, Crustacean Migration was just shown at um, New York Toy Fair. I saw that. I saw the uh, the flyers for that. So Crustacean Crust. Okay, I can't say it nor spell it. But uh, the uh, that game, <laughs> I can't say it. My tongue's not working. What is what? To answer your own question, what's the originality of that game? Well, that's a it's a card game, and it's just a new um, a new way to play a, a card game. It's you know how games end up being like twists on other things. There's maybe a tiny bit of meal born in there, but basically the idea is that you have this crab that's going from one side of the country to the other. So when you're talking about like a broad appeal and being fun, it's a funny concept to have crustaceans, little crabs migrating from one side of the United States to the other. And there's a lot of player interaction there. And so when I did that game, I thought the idea first, it came up with the name of crustacean migration. Um, and then after that, it was like, the idea of taking a crab from one side of the United States to the other and having him stop at ridiculous locations along the way was really funny to me. And then having a lot of player interaction because you can throw a net and stop your crab. And then, of course, if your crab has scissors, it can cut its way out. So it was taking just the idea of a classic card game, which is what what it is, it's a card game, and uh, making it more fun than just having numbers on a card or whatever. And there are plenty of, you know, pretty-looking card games out there. It just happened to be a really one that I found funny. Okay. So, uh, and in, you know, in the marketing place, we call that the positioning. What's your positioning statement and the dif- differentiator that sets you apart from anybody else? So in this case, you, you came up with a kind of a fun name that developed into the more of the game. And so now you have a card game, which is not a differentiator, but you have a card game about yep. crabs migrating across the U.S., which there aren't a whole lot of games out there like that one. No, not really. Not <laughs> Nope. Actually, none that I can think of. Not that, that I can think of like either. So I think we're safe exactly. with that. Exactly. All right. So let's talk about then. So in your case, because you're a professional, you come up with this idea. You come up with the concept. You build the prototype. You play test it with some friends. And then you take it to wh- whom? Who, who, who's on your short list of, okay, I need to show this prototype to somebody who, to seriously uh, have them take a look at it? Does it depend on the, the theme because you know your target publishers that, oh, I think so-and-so will like this? Absolutely. Um, I have, you know, you have a list of clients who look at the game companies that are out there, and right away I know that Hasbro would never, ever, ever do a game like that. That's just, it's not in their wheelhouse. It's not something that they're looking for right now. Um, you know, they have a lot of brands that they're trying to build on, and I don't really think that a game about crabs migrating from one side of the United States to the other really fits into any of their brands. So um, I probably wouldn't even show the concept to them. I would take a look at some of the other companies and see who's having success with card games out there and maybe who's looking for it. You know, um, when I talk to my clients, I'll ask ask if there's something that they're looking for, and, and sometimes they'll say, you know, hey, we've done a dice game in the past that hasn't really been successful, so we're kind of cooling on dice games for a while, or, you know, um, hey, we're looking to expand our line of card games, and so it's like I keep that information tucked in the back of my mind, and those are the companies that I'll go to first, or the ones that I think are looking for card games or have had success with a card game that's similar to the one that I came up with. And if they all reject it, then I might show it to, like, that, that second tier of the people that I was kind of like, ah, oh, maybe they'd be interested, I'm not real sure. But when I have client meetings, I'm showing multiple, multiple concepts at the same time. So it's easy to sneak in there one or two that you're kind of not real sure if they'd be interested in or not. And uh, being a professional inventor, your job is like all rejection. That's, uh, that's pretty much what it is. You show them a concept in a meeting, and they'll either reject it on the spot or they take it in, and then they reject it later. I mean, your success rate isn't real high. So... Um, you just have to be used to rejection. So it, it, it's not that hard to, like, like I said, sneak it into a meeting where I'm pretty certain it would be rejected. But if I think it has a slight chance, then I'll probably show it. So thick-skinned. You're thick-skinned on that one. 
<laughs> you have to be. Really? So let's talk about uh, let's talk about Kickstarter a little bit. You don't have any games on Kickstarter. No, I don't. And and from our conversations uh, previous, you don't really plan on having any games on Kickstarter. No, I don't. Um, but you do kind of watch and peek in on the Kickstarter phenomenon every once in a while, right? Yeah, I do. I, I definitely do. I don't put anything on Kickstarter just because um, I, I'm already slammed with work for just doing what I do, you know, for brainstorming for other companies. And um, But I always think that going to Kickstarter is really interesting just because you end up with a lot of very different stuff out there. And there's some things that are definitely kind of dogs and aren't very interested, but obviously those projects don't get funded. But I always find it interesting to see what people are, are funding, are pointing out money for. Um, and a lot of times I think those are very different concepts than what we've seen out in the marketplace. Or um, It's just a, a nice way to see what trends are, too, in gaming, that people are willing to put forth money for something that, that's, you know, not even done yet. And uh, I find that really interesting. And I think there's a lot of great stuff out there on Kickstarter. Anything in particular that you've seen that has struck you, whether for the positive or for the negative? Um, nothing in particular. I, I just think, like I said, I'll, I'll go through every once in a while, or people will send me stuff um, via Twitter to go, hey, take a take a peek at my, my Kickstarter thing, and I'll take a look there, and there are times that it's just like, ugh. But um, <laughs> actually, Dice, Dice Hateney's Carnival always looked so interesting to me. I thought they did a great job with their artwork. And seeing like quality-looking products like that on Kickstarter really, I think, validates the, the idea of using Kickstarter to get a, a game out there. I mean, there's great stuff out there. It's, it's not just people who are like, hey, give me money to put together some, you know, something that you wouldn't want. Right. Beautiful, amazing stuff. Have you have you got a copy of uh, Dice Hate Me's Carnival? Have you got the chance to play with that and see what that's all about? No, I haven't yet. Well, we'll have to make sure we we fix that. <laughs> uh, I know that uh, that um, Chris and and um, his his wife are going to be fun to hear that you've noticed that. And I think I actually might have a spare copy. We'll make sure we get you a copy so you can play with that because it is a fun. Oh, little they little know thing. I've noticed that. I'm I'm horrible. I. I only review games that are, well, it's a long story. Anyway, but yes, uh, I'm definitely interested in playing theirs, although I will admit I've been living under a rock because of Toy Fair. So. Right, but Toy Now Fair's that I have over. free time again. That's right. And by the way, it, uh, his, well, I couldn't remember. Sherlyn. It's Sherlyn and uh, Chris um, over at, uh, at Dice Hate Me. So they'll, they'll love the shout-out. So that's, uh, that's nice of that. Have you, uh, on Kickstarter, when you go out there, there are times, though, that you're seeing things that, uh, that's causing you to wonder about from an intellectual property standpoint. Is that correct? Every once in a while, but you know, I know it. You can go into, you can walk through Toy Fair and be like, "Wow, that looks like a knockoff of something else." I mean, it happens all the time, and it's something that actually, unfortunately, um, I come across when I'm writing the game aisle. I, there have been a couple times where somebody's contacted me to review their game, and I'm like, "Look, I know it's the exact same game as this game that's out there. This guy already contacted me. I'm not getting into the middle of this argument of, of who invented this game first, who put it out first, who's the rightful owner of this concept. I just you're clear of it. I don't. I don't want any part of it, um, because there are so many different, you know, legal lawsuits that are going on right now. I mean, Spin Master and Zubmondo have been going after each other for what three, four years. It's it definitely happens, and it's right. something I just don't. Well, and I like so. Let's come back then as we wrap up here in the last minute. The the game aisle. Um, yeah. I, you only review when you do a game review. What's your criteria for a game review? Well, first, I I have to like it. Um, I don't review games that I don't like. I don't think people really want to hear about games that I don't like. So um, everything I put on my site is a, is a recommendation. And um, and then it's a recommendation. I mean, it could be for little kids, so people have to keep that in mind. I'm not saying go out and play some game that's meant for three-year-olds with all their adult friends. 
Um, I just think that it's a good game. And uh, so my criteria is that it, it actually has to be like on Amazon.com or Are You Game or some sort of um, internet retailer, or it needs to be in a lot of games throughout the United States. I, when I first started the site, I wasn't paying attention to that so much, and I got a lot of nasty emails for people saying that they wanted to buy games, but um, they didn't want to buy it through the, the manufacturer's website. The manufacturer only had like one or two games. They just didn't feel comfortable. So I changed my criteria. It has to be pretty easy for people to get. Otherwise, it has to be a massive deal game. It has to appeal to casual gamers as well as um, people who are a little bit more hardcore gamers. And it has to be played in about 30 minutes or less. Okay. Well, that's a good criteria. I follow your blog because you only review the games you like. And so I know that if I'm going to if you if you're going to recommend a game it's like, okay. And every once in a while I pick up one that you've recommended and I like it. So now it's just like, okay. I, you're right. I don't want to hear about a game you didn't like. Just tell me the ones you like cuz that's what I want to put in my collection. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And I I hope that other people are enjoying the collections that I've made along the way. And I I review stuff that's not always just new. I'm you know, I've reviewed what I did piece of cake that's been out for a long time, but it isn't very popular here in the United States. So, yeah. I try to try to mix it up. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for joining us today. Well, hey, I hope it was helpful. Oh, well, I think it was. I think uh, a lot of those uh, everybody who's listening is going to kind of have a better understanding of when they approach a publisher, uh, if they have successfully funded a Kickstarter project, and now they want to go to a publisher that you can't. You need to do your homework and think about them before you just kind of blindly start throwing it uh, all the different publishers out there. So I think that was very helpful. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Just to, to finish off on that note, I, I think if you go and go to a company and show them something that is not within their you know, their normal wheelhouse, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. But if you do your homework ahead of time, I think companies really respect that. So it's something to definitely keep in, keep in mind. Thanks, Kim. You've been, uh, thank you for joining us on the show. No, thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, and we've been joined by Kim Vandenbroek, with the game aisle, www.thegameisle.com from Brainy Chick Incorporated. She's a professional game inventor. Hopefully, you've been inspired. You've heard something that you'll find uh, interesting and helpful, and that you'll go out and do your own project become, and, and become inspired so that we can help you fund your dream. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye bye.